You're listening to Seattle Growth Podcast, available free on iTunes. (laughs) That's the voice of Afro-folk singer Naomi Washira, one of several musicians Seattle is losing as more money and people move into the city. I'm Jeff Shulman. And today's episode gives rare insight into the economics and emotional journey associated with becoming a professional musician in Seattle. You'll hear from three very popular local musical acts, one of whom has moved out of the city, one of whom is taking a hiatus from music, and one of whom anticipates moving soon. You will learn how these artists attracted their followings, how they made a living as musician in Seattle, and how the booming economy affects their paychecks. In addition to Washira, the episode features Matt Bishop of the Seattle band Hey Marseille. They had such a big following that bands such as the Lumineers and the Head and the Heart opened for them. We saw this, our friends, doing very well, and we knew that the reality of music as a career, as an industry, if you're a band, is you have to tour. That's like bar number one. You have to jump over. You'll also hear from Jason Gessel and Seattle Weekly's best jazz act of 2017, Kate Voss. The two of them team up as Sunday and Mr. Gessel. And a friend of ours came to us and was like, hey, I hear you're looking for a place to live. I have a house in Ballard, and um, my roommate moved out a couple you know, a couple months ago, and I have an empty room, you have your own bathroom, and, and you'll be my roommate. So we live, we live with Harold. These voices continue the exploration of the past, present, and future of Seattle's music scene which is the focus of Season 4 of Seattle Growth Podcast. Voices in earlier seasons of Seattle Growth Podcast called into question whether the music scene is a casualty of the city's transformation. Some residents, such as Jeff Mangalin, lamented the changes seen in the music scene. The places that I used to enjoy going and uh, going out uh, when I first came up to the area in 2004, seeing concerts and stuff, you start seeing them disappear, and you start seeing these cookie-cutter, like, condos show up, and uh, just kind of takes away the character of the town. Others, such as Steve, see the city's growth as complementing a thriving music community. The music scene is absolutely beautiful. The more people that come here for music, the better it is, in my opinion. Absolutely. Hands down. So yeah. the growth in Seattle has, hel- has helped the music abso- scene? Absolutely, yes. That keeps this place vital and uh, very much on the map with the music scene. For this season of Seattle Growth Podcast, I've set across the city to tackle the question of how growth is affecting the city's music scene. A variety of established and emerging artists, music industry leaders, and music lovers have weighed in on the topic. Last week's episode examined the soul of Seattle's music scene and whether it is evolving as the city transforms. You heard from Lydia Ramsey, an Americana folk singer-songwriter who is also a talent buyer at the Triple Door. One of the issues is a lot of the new people that are moving here aren't necessarily already interested in engaging in the art arts culture. You heard from Austin Santiago, who has been curating music in the Pacific Northwest for over a decade. I think the soul of Seattle's music scene is originality. The originality that made grunge a thing... That same vein of originality makes all of these different styles of music special because they sound like them, but it also makes it really hard for them to resonate on a national scale. And you heard from the talented voice of prom queen, Celine Ramadan. Just the community of musicians here, too. There's a lot of bands that, you know, have been around that they're all just taking care of each other and trying to book shows together because everybody likes each other so much. So that's cool. As we transition to today's episode, my next interview gives perspective on the health of Seattle's music scene from a talented artist who has moved away from the city. To hear more, join me as I sit down with Naomi Wachira. I am here with Naomi Wachira, an immensely talented Afro-folk singer-songwriter who at one point was named the best folk singer in Seattle, uh, but now continues her musical career while living in Yakima. Naomi, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? So I was born in Kenya um, and I moved to the U.S. about almost 22 years ago and uh, first moved to Chicago and I lived there for about 11 years and did my undergrad and work. And then I visited Seattle. It was in the fall and completely fell in love with the city and um, decided to come and pursue my, my graduate program here. And I just never left. Music kind of came 
after it was like sort of like an afterthought uh after i'd been here for about four or five years i you know started looking at music and so you were not brought here by the music community no I actually did not even know much about, like, I didn't even know anything about, like, that Seattle had, like, this rich um, music history. You know, when you think of all the great bands that have come from here, I had no idea. It was until a couple years later, after I'd been in the music scene, that I was like, oh, my goodness, like, this is where, you know, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all those big bands that you've heard of, that this was their home, and... Um, so I was like, okay, maybe maybe those are reason why <laughs> I ended up moving out here, even though like I didn't know about it. Or you came here for grad school, and then you became what at least Seattle Weekly called the best folk singer in the city. Yeah. What was the journey from seeking higher education to a musical career? The last year of my graduate program, I ended up um, I had a daughter, and for me, when you bring another life into this world, it completely changes your perspective and your priorities and what really matters. And at that point, I was thinking, um, I want to do something that truly makes me happy. And music was like the thing that I kept coming back to because I I'd always loved singing as, since I was a kid. So after I had her, um, I remember going to an open mic because I was like, you know what, I might as, I might as well. I'd, I had started learning guitar before I moved to Seattle and so I you know knew a few songs here and there I went to my first open mic and the response was just kind of blew me away I was like oh I guess maybe there is something here like I I can explore this and and so I started doing that open mics and it was so interesting when I got that best folk singer I was getting ready to release my first EP which is like a three song EP so that actually caught me off guard because I'm like, uh, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing. And, you know, when Gwendolyn Elliott, um, who was the editor of The Stranger Then, did that article, it affirmed like this internal voice that I'd been hearing for a really long time. Like that this is this is what you're supposed to do with your life. From open mic to best folk singer and just putting out your first EP, where were you performing and how were you gaining traction and notoriety? Everything's always about connections, obviously. And playing at Connor Byrne, which is like the hangout that used to, like a lot of musicians used to kind of hang out there on Sundays. And I got to meet a lot of musicians like Chris Olowski, um, Noah Gunderson, Alan Stone. And from there, like it's sort of the kind of word kind of started spreading. And so people would reach out to me. They're like, hey, would you like to come and do this event? Or would you like to come and open for this artist? And I also did Dobe Fest, which is out in Orcas Island. And then Damien Gerardo kind of came in through all that he was actually there the first time I sang at that open mic and he didn't reach out to me until like a year later and he was like would you like to open for my album release and I was like what it it was at St. Mark's Cathedral and that sort of began to kind of open like all these doors like when you know when you partner with Damien Gerardo like um I feel like it's an automatic that I don't know you just enter into like some places that you probably would not have entered on your own and um yeah so that's kind of like how it it sort of all started so what would you say has been the greatest benefit about being a musician in, in Seattle in particular? I've loved that sense of family that once you get to know these people, like I've never experienced that sense of like competition of like everybody's like trying to get to the top. There's always this sense of like we're kind of all in this together and everybody's just trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And I've really appreciated that. But I think also for me, it it was the ability to create my own narrative and not feel like I needed to fit in I feel like now like the whole indie folk scene is sort of like what's there or what has been present in the last couple of years but I loved like I never felt the pressure that I needed to assimilate and become like everybody else or like what you know friends like Shelby Earl like um I, I never felt like I needed to be like her that I created my own narrative and and I found place like I found a place where I could talk about myself as an African woman, as a mother. And, and, but to me, the whole thing is about relating to people on a very universal level. And I think that's where I feel like my career has thrived really well is just like this ability to connect to people, no matter where they come from, what their stories are. I'm a big believer that there's, there's a thread that connects all of us and you just have to find that thread. And when you do that, it's like people just come and like they'll listen to you and so i think that that's been like the the greatest thing about being in in the seattle music scene tell me more about your narrative what are you trying to communicate or message you're trying to send through your music the underlying theme of every song i write is always hope 
and I think especially in, in these times that we find ourselves in, um, there's that sense of people are looking for something that will continue to inspire them, that will continue to remind them of their goodness and their greatness and that their capacity to um, to overcome whatever it is that they're going through. Whether it's like you made a bad decision, like, and I've been through that in my own relationships and and that ability to rise above those mistakes and still create something good out of your life, I think is a message that I always, I, I will always want to keep telling people and keep emphasizing, um, you know, for as long as I'm given this chance to, to keep doing this. Seattle has helped you with a, a community and allowed you to create your own narrative of hope. What about the other side of Seattle? Have there been challenges that the music community or Seattle as a city has created for you as you try to get your narrative out to the world? In the last few years with the whole sort of like economic boom, if you want to call it that, um, in Seattle has created a lot of challenges for artists because, you know, for somebody like me who, you know, all of my income comes from music and a lot, and I'm not Adele or, you know, Madonna, whatever. Um, And so it, it means that I'm not necessarily able to afford, like, because the rents just kept increasing, have been increasing consistently. Um, and so it pushed people like myself out of the city. And, you know, we live two hours outside of Seattle now um, because that's what I could afford. And I've I've had a lot of friends who've been either have done the same thing of they've just moved outside of Seattle or contemplating moving up. Your costs have gone up. What about your your paycheck, so to speak, uh, what you're getting paid from the venues and how often you're able to get gigs. That doesn't really go up. I feel like there's this culture where people think that musicians don't really deserve to be paid unless you're like, you know, a big time artist where you can get like the thousands and thousands of dollars. Like when you're still creating your climbing up the ladder, if you want to call it that, that you still have to fight for that. Like, hey, I, I know I'm worth like more than 150 bucks, you know, for a three hour show or whatever. And so, yeah, so that doesn't really change much um, until you get to a certain level of recognition, then the numbers flip. But when you're sort of like under that radar and still creating, whether it's like your fan base or whatever, that um, it's still a struggle. And I think a lot of artists are in that category of, you know, you're good at what you do, but you might not necessarily have that recognition or you know, the backing from whether it's like labels or investors or things like that. Do you recall any specifics about what happened to your rent? Um, Actually, my situation was I had gone to Europe and I was there for like six months or something like that. On tour? Um, yeah, touring slash I, it was like the first time in my life I'd ever had the freedom to just get up and go. Um, and I came back and I like I was living in Lower Queen Anne and I had this adorable studio um that was looking at like the space needle and it was like 785 uh and it was a pretty sizable studio and and i came back and and try to get the same space and you know my landlady was like i love you so much but there's no way like i can even g- get you anything with at that price range so i ended up having to stay with some family friends for like six months because at the same time it's like having to get back on like the Seattle music scene again because I was gone for six months and just could not find anything that was affordable and eventually had to room with someone. And that was good for a while. But then just like my nature is like, I need my space. Like um, I'm very much an introvert and I want to come home and not have to worry about somebody else. So after that, it was probably about six, seven months of just trying to find something that worked. And everywhere I looked, it was like, you know, you could find like these literally like 200 square foot studios for like a thousand bucks and um and that's not even including the utilities and I was like this I don't this is gonna work out you know and that's when I started looking outside of Seattle I was like well maybe I have to move and and that's what we ended up doing about two years ago is um moving to Yakima so it, it was you and your daughter rooming yeah, with other my people daughter. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so that, was, so that was the other thing. I'm just like, I'm not comfortable. Like, yeah, I just didn't feel comfortable sharing space with my daughter and somebody else. And it was essential for us to like have our own space. So what were you feeling when it was you and your daughter looking for a place to live together in the city that, that you had started to really get a foothold in, in your musical career and 
rooming with other people and, and looking and not finding what you needed. I think at that point, you're just like, you start doubting yourself and doubting whether you're actually being one, a responsible parent, you know, um, and, you know, whether I should just go back, like quit this dream of mine and go back. I used to work for a nonprofit at some point and I was like, maybe I should just go back and, you know, get a consistent paycheck. But I still, I, I went back again to like, the reason why I started doing music was because I wanted to find something that brought me joy. And I knew if I went back to like, yes, I could have the paycheck, but I'd be miserable. And to me, I feel like my daughter did not deserve to have that. Like, and not to say that we've not had our stresses, like while I pursue my dream, because that comes with its own package of stress and, um, you know, its own downside. But, um, but to me, I feel like it's a lot more worth because I know I'm actually doing something that makes a difference, um, you know, for my audience, for the listener, the people who buy my music. I know that it's creating something. It's it's doing something positive um, compared to like me just sitting behind a desk and answering emails and, you know, booking travel for other people. I'm just like, yeah, that does. No. Um, but yeah, so I doubted myself a lot. And, and thankfully... Uh, you know, I had a really great supportive community, um, you know, whether it's like helping me brainstorm ideas of like, you know, what can I do and um, and how can I really make, you know, how can I keep pursuing my dream and still be um, a responsible parent and, and make sure that my daughter and I are like, you know, well provided for. Let's talk about that. What's been the impact of moving out of the city on you professionally? I feel like it hasn't really changed much, like in terms of like my ability to still get gigs and perform. Um, in fact, last year, my daughter and I, we probably traveled about six months out of the year um, just touring. And to me, I think it's just like prioritizing, saying like, yes, Yakama is my home, but, you know, Seattle is still like my music, sort of like my business base. And so I still call myself a Seattle based um, Afro folk singer songwriter, and I'm still able to get the shows and the gigs that I want to get. Any other ways it's affected you personally? Yakima is a very small town, um, city, and and I just love the ability to just be out there. You know, after the six months of touring, like we came back, and it was so good to like just be home and like and not like there, there's not like crazy traffic. It's um, pretty quiet for the most part and and that's been really really good for for my well-being to sort of like go out into like the crazy world where you're traveling and stress and then come back and like you really get to like relax and um and that's been I feel like that's been really really good for for my soul and my spirit to to have some something like that speaking of soul given your time in Seattle's music community what would you describe as the soul of Seattle? There's something about the music scene in Seattle that allows wherever you are, wherever you've come from, like that there's space for you to be and to, you know, do your craft and flourish. And, um, you know, if you explode, that's great. If not, like you'll still have something to keep you doing what you love to do. Um and I, I love that. Like, it, 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 I think it's very different from like an L.A. or like New York kind of thing. Where it's like it's everything is competition. Everything is about getting the gigs and getting out there. But here it just feels like people are a, lot, a little bit more laid back. Um, and if you do want to get like that competition, you just like, you know, you can fly to L.A. and and get that, you know, whatever it is that you're looking for in, in, in the music career but or in the music business. Um, but I would have to say I think it's just like that space it's created for whatever genre, whatever artist you are, that you can create your own space. And, you know, if you put your effort and work into it, then, you know, it works. And it's worked for me, you know, and, and I'm really grateful for for what I've been able to build in um, in Seattle. All right. So Naomi Washera, an immensely talented Afro-folk singer-songwriter. A lot of great things have happened for you here in Seattle. You're now in Yakima, but still performing in Seattle. What does the future hold for you? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I think for me, the question I keep asking myself is, um, how do I keep doing this um, and not kill myself doing it? You know, because so far I've done everything by myself. 
Um, and I think this year I'm going to take some time and, and just try and answer that question of like, how do I build, you know, the idea of just like be, being able to build a team that can sort of kind of do some of the stuff that I've been doing for the last five years, six, six years. Um, and I'm here for the long game. And, and so I think that means, um, a lot of, whether it's like rethinking, not so much the work that I create, but more like the business side of it. Um, I think I'm in that place where I really want to rethink how I do things um, to make sure that I can be here 20 years you know, from now and still be creating the same kind of music that comes from the soul and comes from the heart um, and that still, that still has that message of hope. Yeah, I want to be here for a really long time. And is Seattle a place that you could build out that team and get the people you need on board? I'm not quite sure. I, I don't think so. I that's my gut. My gut says I probably not. Probably not. Um, um, so I probably will be looking out and networking with as many people as I can to to see if I can find that team that can help me. If you can get a message out to one of the the new people to Seattle, what would you ask of them? If I was gonna have a conversation with somebody who just moved to Seattle. I think, first of all, I'd have to recognize the fact that I've done the same thing. I moved here from somewhere else and, you know, have not made this my home. Um, but I think there's always this sense of, you know, if you move to some some new place, my parents always used to tell me, you know, you leave a place better than you found it. And it's a philosophy that I've carried with me everywhere I go. Um, and there's so many ways to do that, you know, and I think for me as an artist is, is that recognition of, um, you know, support the local, like the local arts, whether it's like the, the, the galleries or the music venues that are there, um, you know, buying and especially like in Seattle where like there's such um, a rich music culture, like just going out and, and discovering like new artists that are playing in like all the venues that are that are in the city and like buying their music. You know, I, I get the whole Spotify streaming thing and and that's great in its in its own right. And but I feel like actually buying music from artists or merchandise is a huge boost to the artist. And so I feel like the fact that the, that Seattle has had a very thriving music culture is something that that still needs to be kept and something that that still needs to be respected, um, so that we don't see like you know music venues closing because people are not going to you know to to watch like live music anymore. And it's good that the economy is boosting and that it's helping somebody else. But like, we have to make this where not just one person or one group is benefiting. That like, if people rise up, like it should be like the everybody should be able to rise up from whatever level they were at. And yeah, th that would be like my my humble two cents. Any concluding thoughts? You know, I feel like th this is such a great way to like, as an artist, it's like I feel like this is not an, an opportunity I get very often to sort of talk about you know um how the economy is affecting you know my work as an artist and and i appreciate just the opportunity to sort of speak my mind and and share about sort of my own experiences and yeah i'm grateful i'm grateful for that naomi i'm grateful uh thank you so much for being here i appreciate your time and perspective today absolutely thank you jeff Still to come on this episode of Seattle Growth Podcast is Matt Bishop of Hey Marseille and talented jazz musicians Kate Voss and Jason Gessel. But first, get to know Naomi Washira a little bit better through her song, Beautifully Human. I wish the world could believe Then my brothers and sisters, we are meant to be no, we are not accidents. No, we are not. We are not the sons and daughters of the dead. So don't treat us like we are the cursed race. Don't treat us like we are the cursed race. We are human. We are human too. Don't treat us like we are the cursed race. Don't treat us like we are the cursed race. We are human. We are human too. And I know that I am. I am. I am. I am. I am. I, am. I know that I am. I am. I am. I am. I, am. I wish we didn't have. 
prove our worth And the world could finally see us as equals yeah. No, we are not accidents No, we are not No, no, no We are not the sons and daughters of the damn Human by Naomi Washira. I'm Jeff Shulman, and in case you forgot, you are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast, available free on iTunes. That's the voice of my next guest, Matt Bishop, who will share the journey of his popular band, Hey Marseille, that recently went on a hiatus. I'm here with Matt Bishop, founding member of the popular band, Hey Marseille. Uh, Matt, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Why don't you start by telling me just a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, I'm a Gemini. I'm in touch with my feelings. No, well, that's probably evident through the music. Um, I, uh, I'm in the band Hey Marseille. I work in college admissions in Seattle. Uh, I uh, Hey Marseille, we last wrapped our um, third album um, tour about a year and a half ago and are kind of on a hiatus period. Um, and I'm so happy to be as normal and as boring and as basic as possible. I've, I've bought a couch and I've been teaching myself how to cook and joined a softball team. Um, all the things that I was not able to do while I was on the road in the Sprinter van with Amarce. I'm really enjoying it. So before you got to live this boring lifestyle, uh, talk to me about the journey of forming this band and getting the following that you were able to build. Yeah, um, it was kind of accidental uh, in a lot of ways. And I think I've, I used to say that Seattle was really the only place I think that we could have found the success we did in part because we I met Nick Ward, um, the guitar player, at a house party in the U District shortly after I graduated. And he was uh, kind of talking to me after I'd been playing some songs in the corner trying to attract attention of women. And I got stuck with Nick instead. Um, and he, uh, was a rainy dog radio DJ. So I came and met him and we started recording some song ideas in his basement, uh, in the house he lived in Wedgwood when he went to UW. 
Um, and then we just started adding uh, Jacob and Sam, who played strings, and he knew when he was growing up, and his roommate, Philip, played keyboards. Um, so it was all kind of this natural um, alliance of folks who uh, just enjoyed playing music. And then we played shows. Like, it just kept cascading into things that, that uh, ultimately we decided we, need to, we needed a name. And uh, the Seattle music scene, particularly at that time, was really supportive in terms of being able to get shows at venues. And there was a lot of blogs more so then than now. Um, KXP was really supportive. So we ultimately recorded a full-length record and attracted attention of management. So it was a long, drawn-out process. But we started playing music in 2006 and didn't um, release our full first record nationally until 2010. And that was a product, again, of not really being intentional about it, but just the nature of... I think being in Seattle and, and the city is small enough to connect with people really easily, but also passionate enough about the arts and music to um, really support it that we happened to work out. Uh, and I don't think that necessarily would have happened anywhere else. So walk me through those four years before your nationally released album. Where were you getting booked and, and how were you able to do that? Yeah, our first show was at the Connor Byrne in Ballard. I was opening for a friend who was about to release a record and just asked those guys to play with me. And then we decided, we realized people liked it. So we started, um, we got, we were really excited when we got booked at the Skylark Cafe in West Seattle. And then uh, we were super stoked when we were had a headlining show at the High Dive in Fremont on a Sunday, which looking back now, it's like, oh, that's the degree to which we were excited about that uh, was probably out of sync with. Um, <laughs> how excited or easy that necessarily was to book. And then, you know, the Tractor Tavern, the com the old Comet Tavern um, before it got renovated. Um, our big break was a friend of a friend saw us play at the Comet, and he was friends uh, with the guy who books for Numos. And so we had, a, they gave us a Thursday night headlining show at Numos for our self-release of our first album. And there was like 150 people who showed up, and the venue was so stoked and excited. Um, it's just kind of moments like that that keep happening that kept happening where um, we would kind of outperform our own expectations and the expectations of other of the venues that were booking us um, and people kept showing up to our shows and liking our music we were we are particularly back then um, very much kind of in the vein of what was happening with kind of fleet foxes and the decemberists and beirut we had trumpet and accordion and this instrument we called the jumberine which was a tambourine essentially taped to a, a marching band drum. And were you living off the paycheck that you got from performing in Seattle, or did you have a side job as well? I had a side job as well. Um, my primary job um, was I worked in college admissions at Seattle University at the time. Um, yeah, we were definitely not making enough money to do anything other than um, pay for posters. Um, because one of the you know one of the entry level barriers to um, playing more shows is you have to you don't get paid a lot on the front end when you're opening for other bands at bigger venues. So we released our um, uh, to Travels and Trunks our first record nationally in 2010, and then and I, we all used all of our vacation time to tour on that, which was like three to four weeks. Um, and then before the release of our second record, Lines We Trace, is I left, I sold my condo and left Seattle University, and we had spent six months to a year kind of setting up, making this jump. Um, so then we toured from essentially the release of that record 2013 through the end of the tour for our last self-titled record in 2016. How did you ever decide to make that leap where you're going to give up on a steady paycheck and a job that you have for a couple of years to really give yourself to your music? Yeah, well, that was probably one of the reasons why it, it, it took us so long to get to that point. Um, we weren't intentional about it, but also I am a fairly pragmatic person. And um, as the lead singer, a lot of stuff kind of revolved around what I was doing. And I bought a I bought a condo at the peak of the market in 2007, which turned out to be a poor investment, especially if you're working in uh, education and music. Um, but I got was able to get out from under that. And I think we were all kind of on this page where um, you know, if we don't try this, we're going to regret it. Um, we were all really excited about the potential. Um, we'd had a lot of friends who had gone on and found great success. We are uh, one of the defining characteristics for sure about Hey Marseille is we have a lot of bands that used to open for us that now 
uh, have make way more uh, money uh, off of music than we ever did. Uh, so name a few. Who's it? yeah? The Head and the Heart um, uh, played a few shows with us. They opened with us. We loved them and supported them right when they first were releasing some demos. They opened for our vinyl release show for To Travels and Trunks in 2010. Um, the Lumineers, we share the same management with them and they were opening for us on an East Coast tour in like 100 cap rooms like six months before they released their record. Um, so we had to listen to those songs <laughs> every night. We were like, yeah, I guess they're okay. That's fine. Yeah, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, we would play shows with like Macklemore and we shared with some band members at certain times with Macklemore. Um, so yeah, so we, we saw this, our friends doing very well and we knew that the reality of music as a career, as an industry, if you're a band, is you have to tour. That's like bar number one. You have to jump over. Um, and so that we were like, okay. and the Head and the Heart were a great example of that. They were just, they, you know, to some degree irritated some people in Seattle at the time because they were playing so many shows in one market. But they would just hop in the van and go up and down the West Coast. So that's what we did. We, you know, we got a tour for four months at a time and we started doing that um grinding it out um and it started for sure to work to a degree but uh you know there's depending on all kinds of circumstances related to the temperamental nature of the music industry and who you are and what's happening how many band members you have um there's a lot of challenges whether it actually ever plays out the lumineers were smart they only had three i think it's actually technically only two primary band members um and then Neela, the cellist, is kind of an external band member. And then they just pay the rest of the folks. So, you know, small operation, massive success is the, the ideal. We were never, we did the opposite of both of those things. Less success, seven people. It's always a way to do it, right? Yeah. Um, Counter-cultural, counter I think, yeah, really kind of leading the way. Tell me how Seattle as a city and a community shaped your journey as a musician as you pursued what I'd imagine is a passion of yours. I don't think we would exist if we weren't doing this in Seattle. Just the ability, first of all, I mean, like when we started, we were in, Philip and Nick lived in a basement in Wedgwood. We had a whole house. We self-recorded all these demos and records. They were We were fortunate to have the uh, space and the resources to record our own album. Um, we were fortunate to be able to connect with uh, like-minded individuals at venues who offered up support in terms of recording space and production time, um, just the kind of the small community uh, that has been um, a part of the music community in Seattle. If you get to know a few folks, they're more than happy to connect you with the resources of everybody else. Um, music festivals like Bumbershoot, Capitol Hill Block Party are supportive with regard to local artists. There's a bunch of kind of medium-level music festivals like Timber and Dobe Fest um, that had us out. KXP as the fortune that we have in Seattle of having a, a radio station that is um, really supportive of the local community, but also has like a global uh, reach. So see, in so many ways, I mean, I could go on and on. Seattle's, um, particularly at that time, was just uh, a fantastic breeding ground for independent music and bands. What, what challenges does the city or the community here create for musicians? You know, when we first started... And, Perhaps still to a degree, I think Seattle, the creative communities in Seattle, not just music, but I think creative communities in general, for whatever reason, maybe it's geography, being in the corner of the country, there is kind of a, a hesitance to uh, wanting to yield to what is commercially viable right away, if that makes sense. Um, for example, our our band, I mean, we had seven people. We had a trumpet player, a cellist, a violist. Um, our songs, if you listen to our first record, are kind of all over the place. There's some are seven minutes long. We have on all of our records, except for the last one, um, instrumental pieces. Um, they're not, you know, we went down to L.A. for our third record to do some writing that was very intentionally about trying to um, make something new in terms of a challenge that might be more um, commercially uh, successful and uh, <laughs> the producers we met with would listen to our record and they, our previous records and just kind of look at us with confused faces but that worked in Seattle the, you know we had the space and the support to make 
seven minute songs and people loved it and they were stoked about accordions and um and anywhere else i don't i don't think that would have happened any other challenges associated with being here in seattle as a musician one of the reasons that we're kind of on hiatus right now uh is we're older and we want to do something a little different but it's not really economically feasible anymore um especially with we we're we're now five members strong so we we uh, laid off uh two-sevenths of our workforce over the last six years and um you know but my rent i was living when i left seattle university i was in this great position um i'd saved up some money offloaded my condo um and I was living in this one-bedroom basement apartment uh, that was pretty dank, but I had a decent amount of space for me to make music um, in this building that was built in 1910 on Capitol Hill. And there were two uh, parking lots next to it. Um, within a five-year period, my rent doubled, um, and uh, those parking lots now block the little light, or excuse me, the parking lots are filled with uh, giant buildings that block the little light that that apartment got. Um, all of us uh, have, have struggled just in terms of kind of the economic realities of being in Seattle. Um, and again, at the same time, the Seattle market and the expense of living here has taken off the music industry. Nobody, the, the CD sales have just not turned around for some reason. <laughs> uh, you know, the music industry has continued to face challenges. So um, it didn't make any sense really anymore. So you've been here for 17 years. What changes to Seattle that affect you as a musician here in Seattle beyond the, the rent, I guess? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, to some degree, I don't think Hey Marseille would happen in 2017. I don't see guitar bands with all, everybody playing instruments live on stage anymore. Um, I don't. I see. I, I feel like I see there's an openness to kind of that commercial viability um, that maybe wasn't there before if only because kind of the electronic music scene feels like it's a little bit more popular uh hip-hop has certainly um i think the rap community in seattle is in a much different place than when we started um in a much better place it seems like there's an openness to commercial viability and again you know not unrelated to that conversation about economics people used to you know, make fun of you if you had a song on a commercial because that's selling out or whatever. Well, that's now it's the only way you can actually make a living. So my friends, whether they have day jobs or not, you know, they have to rely on syncs um, and publishing to continue doing what they're doing. So that's just kind of become an inevitable part of the conversation. And nobody really talks about it in a clicky or judgmental way like they used to. Started your band in 2006. In those 12 years, what would you say that you feel the soul of Seattle's music community is? You know, the things that Seattle's been known for musically uh, kind of were afforded the laboratory that is the Seattle music scene to do things that were different than what was happening in L.A. or Chicago or New York or anywhere else, Nashville. Um, and that was the case with grunge in the early 90s, I think. Uh, that was the case for the Harvey Dangers and the Long Winters of the early 2000s. And then you start thinking about like Fleet Foxes and the folk stuff that was happening, Fleet Foxes, the head and the heart. Um, like that stuff wasn't cool until people discovered what was happening in Seattle. Macklemore, even I would think, obviously for a variety of reasons, kind of coming outside the... Um, traditional circumstances of a hip-hop hip artist like seattle affords the ability for kind of a cheesy white guy to like do his thing and then people love it and then okay now we've present we've created it in the seattle laboratory and presented it to the rest of the world um and i i think that is certainly constant uh, through to now it seems like matt thank you very much for joining me today i appreciate your time and perspective thank you I'm Jeff Shulman, a marketing professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. And in case you forgot, you're listening to Seattle Growth Podcast, available free on iTunes. Yep. That's Seattle Weekly's 2017 Jazz Act of the Year, Kate Voss. Join me as I sit down with Voss and Jason Gessel. I am here in Ballard at Grumpy D's with Sunday and Mr. Gessel. That's Kate Voss and Jason Gessel. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. 
I'll start with Kate. Just tell me a little bit about yourself. I am a jazz singer here in Seattle, and I've lived in Seattle since 2001. I studied with Greta Matassa and um, uh, joined forces here with Jason Gessel about four years ago um, as Sunday Mr. Gessel, and we've been performing full-time uh, ever since then. So, Jason, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? I moved to uh, Seattle in 2001 as well from the Midwest, and um, I perform around Seattle as a freelance guitarist, so I play uh, a, a lot with uh, Kate here as Sunny Mr. Gessel, but I also play in a bunch of other groups um, from country to um, old school swing, surf, rockabilly. Um, I am completely full-time. I do over 350, probably close to 400 gigs a year. Um, and that's pretty much all I do. I don't have much time to teach or do anything else. And tell me a little bit about the type of music that you play. Um, the group Sunday Mr. Gessel, which is uh, Kate Voss and myself, is we call it vintage jazz. We do mostly jazz from the 1920s and 1930s. We do throw in some uh, more contemporary tunes, but they're songs that have that sound and that style. Being a duo, it's very easy for us to travel. So we try to tour four to six months out of the year, get out of Seattle, get through the Great Plains, Middle America, and um, Midwest. We get out to the East Coast. This uh, winter, we're going to get down south. We're trying to get more things in the south in the winter just to get out of Seattle when it's 42 and raining. (laughs) And so, Kate, you are the Northwest Jazz Vocalist of the Year. Tell me about your favorite place to perform here in Seattle. You know, there's a few really great rooms uh, for for jazz and for listening, which is, I feel very fortunate that we have them. Um, The Sorrento Hotel, it's just super classy and a lot of new people kind of coming through because it's a hotel, so you get to expose your music to more people. And actually across the street from there is Vito's, very vintage. There's no TVs. It's all about the atmosphere and the vibe there. And so there's just top, top Seattle musicians play there. Um, and the Musicarium Lounge, actually, at the Triple Door is a really awesome spot, too. They uh, have a lot of different styles of music and really support the music community. Uh, and so that's a really fun room to play, too. Um, and I, Jason forgot to mention that we're actually also married. So it makes it pretty easy to travel. <laughs> well, for some couples. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> we feel lucky. Yeah, oh, that's great. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what it's like earning a living as a musician here in Seattle. Well, with the growth of Seattle, there's a lot more places to play. There's tons of music happening, but also the growth brings in more people that um, are wonderful musicians. So you have a lot of great musicians and a lot of great venues to play. However, um, making a living here as a professional musician is pretty difficult because the gigs actually don't pay that well um, for how much it costs to live here, how much taxes are here. We tour just so we can make money to afford to live in Seattle. So when we play in Wisconsin, um, the gigs pay 30 to 50% more than they do here in Seattle. So like, oh, you can buy a house in Wisconsin for 180000 You can buy a house in Seattle for same house for 800000 And we make more money playing gigs there. So it, that's, that's not quite adding up. And then, you know, there's a lot of wonderful musicians that work for Microsoft, work, you know, have really good day jobs. So they don't really care to get paid, but they want to get their bands out and they want to play. And, and they should be playing. They're, they're amazing, but they don't need, you know, they can survive by just getting $50 a guy or person um, for a three-hour gig because they don't, they don't need the money. So um, I've been a professional musician since I, for 25 years since I was a teenager, and there's a couple times where I, you know, just couldn't do the hustle anymore, and I'd take a day job and just take some breaks from gigging. But it's really what I've been... Um, my whole upbringing, my whole schooling, everything is, I'm a performer. So it's, it's a little bit difficult um, here in Seattle just because there's so many people willing to play for free or for next to nothing. We don't see that as much in other states across the United States, you know, especially like you go down to New Orleans and um, people there are the ones gigging are pro musicians. They're gigging every night and they're doing it. Um, 
the average you know pay per per gig is just a little bit lower here than it is and even in places like billings montana bozeman montana um duluth minnesota like i can name all these other cities that like they actually pay more money for for acts like us and um or or just music in general so so there just the hard thing here is just kind of the balance between the gigs paying enough to to live here as a professional musician not just a hobbyist and now walk me through in terms of crowd sizes um is there an array of places that you can go from just getting started and performing to five of your fans to even more? Um, maybe walk me through the different venues and how that worked for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, we're sitting here at Grumpy D's, and they have music here. Um, there's signs on their walls for music, and they're very supportive of music. There's coffee shops all over the city that do that. Waltz over uh, Sunset Hill. They have music every Friday, very supportive. And um, we used to live above there, and we would hear... Um, if we weren't gigging, we would hear them perform, people performing in the back, and they sounded amazing. And there is so much good music in Seattle and so many places to play. And um, I, it seems like I meet uh, a new amazing musician every day here. So, Kate, tell me a little bit about the artist community here in terms of how you get to know each other. And Well, as Jason was saying, you can meet a new musician or artist in this city daily. There are so many amazing artists and musicians in this city and there are definitely some groups that are really, really tight-knit. Um, for example, the award that I won earlier this year um, is from Earshot Magazine and Earshot is like kind of like the jazz um, <laughs> community here. And so, you know, all the people involved with Earshot are pr- fairly tight-knit. So there's there's a lot of cliques, you know, and Seattle's kind of renowned for being clicky in, in many ways. Um, but, you know, I feel like we, we're constantly getting to know bigger groups and, and learning about new new bands and new musicians and and people move here because they're, like Jason said, there's work. There's work to be had for sure. And, you know, you can play at venues like coffee shops um, if you're up and coming. And then you can play at venues like the Triple Door if you've got, you know, a fan base. And, um, yeah, I feel like you can play here kind of at every level and uh, every uh, profession, like if you're just kind of a hobbyist or if you're really doing it um, as a full-time so musician. Tell me, how were you able to grow your fan base here in Seattle so that you could play professionally? Uh, well, it started with our friends. I mean, we actually did a Kickstarter for our first album, uh, Cheek to Cheek, in 2014. We had a lot of support from our uh, really close community um, right off the bat, and they helped us, you know, kind of get things going and came to shows and all this stuff and uh, once we started becoming more established and you know we play you know four to eight shows a week so you know our our friends and family can't come to all of them (laughs) but uh, we've been able to play so much and I think that's just helped really grow um, a lot of people's appreciation for what we do it's very specific niche that we have this vintage jazz what changes are you seeing in your years performing here in seattle we we're getting more work (laughs) we have tons and tons and tons of work a lot of a lot of corporate gigs so um with you know more corporations being here and more businesses being here there's more private parties to play for and that those those are really great um Going back a little bit to um, the question before that Kate was answering about um, growing, you know, getting more gigs, growing our fan base, you know, probably I would say 60% of our gigs aren't gigs that um, we, we're not we're not in the club scene, we're not in the scene, the indie rock scene, or the scene where like fans come out to see us. Um, we do have those gigs as well, but the bread and butter, the gigs that are... Um, that really pay the bills are the corporate ones, the ones where bookers trust that we're going to come in with a professional PA system, a professional attitude, and look the part and play the music that they're expecting and be really nice and be on time. Um, that's what gets us all the gigs, having relationships, even with venues, like the Sorrento Hotel knows that we're going to come in 
and it's going to be a good show and we're going to know how to dress and know how to act. Um, um, cause a lot of these places, there's so much going on in Seattle that it's hard to advertise that your Facebook posts just get lost. Um, you know, you could pull out an ad in the stranger, but the ad in the stranger costs three times more than the gig you want to promote through the stranger. So we can't do that. Um, same with any listings. You got to, it's so much money to list your stuff. So you kind of got to depend on the venue, knowing you, trusting you, listing you on their website. And then the fact that the venue is matching up, knowing that their clientele matches up with your music. And then those people become fans because they'll sign up on our email list, they'll buy a CD, they'll buy a download, um, and we'll, they'll even like tell their friends to watch for us when we're in Nebraska, and we'll meet people all over the country saying, my cousin saw you here in Seattle and told me to come check you out. And so the biggest thing is the, the, the trust between booker, presenter, or venue, and the musician or the act. Who does the booking and who manages that for you? Do you have a manager or do you make all these calls around the country? We manage ourselves and book ourselves. Um, There's a really cool booking agency here in Seattle called Gigs For You, which we're off to a gig that they book us for, which is the airport. They book, um, I think, three acts or four acts at the airport every single day. Um, Those gigs are a lot of fun because we get to meet people from all over the world. And that's really cool. And it's really cool when somebody comes running up and they're like, I saw you in Fargo. We're like, yes. (laughs) Yeah. So those are really fun. And Gigs for You also books Amazon and they book Microsoft and they do corporate events, city events, um, summer concert series, and we're on their roster. And that makes it a little bit easier. So, Kate, what do you think the future holds for Sunday and Mr. Gessel? As I said, we're a married couple, and music was our number one passion, and uh, our relationship developed after that. And so we're going to be playing music together forever. <laughs> uh, and we've really tried to uh, create somewhat of an empire with Sunday and Mr. Gessel with our traveling and touring. Uh, we're working on our fifth album right now in four years and um, we really are very very passionate about what we do and we want to continue doing it for as long as we possibly can Um, we've had a steady growth of fans and uh, passion and uh, financial actually um, for the last four years and so we feel like we're doing the right things and we're continuing on We do eventually want to buy a house and uh, settle down at some point. Uh, And we're not totally sure we can do that in Seattle just because, as Jason mentioned, houses here are insanely high. You can't, there's no way we could buy a house on the income that we're on right now. Um, But Seattle's always going to be a part of our life because this is where we really kind of got into our our style and our our it's like our hometown it's here in Seattle but we may have to buy elsewhere <laughs> and so uh, Jason just to get some variety of voices here if you are you in agreement with that that you might have to move out of Seattle yeah yeah there's no way we can afford to live here the, the gigs would have to pay three times as much in right now there's you know we get hired for gigs and we give our rate they're like oh i was thinking a lot less than that but it's not well everybody knows what how much an hour you need to make at a 40 hour a week job in order to buy a house here so (laughs) um yeah you know we we, will always be in seattle i don't know we might still end up staying here maybe we can find something north or south that we can afford but um, the thing we just started doing is we're doing these showcases uh, down in Florida, Texas, Arizona to get down there in the winter months and actually two or through there in the winter. So we're, right now we're looking at maybe buying a house, if we do buy a house, not in Seattle, but it'll be like our vacation home when we're not on the road and then spend summers in Seattle. Where do you live now in the city? We live in Ballard. Yeah, we, um, our place that we were living in um, on Sunset Hill got sold to developers, and they, of course, came in and taken the rent from 1400 to about 2800 a month. And um, so we had to move out of there. 
And a friend of ours came to us and was like, hey, I hear you're looking for a place to live. I have a house in Ballard. And um, my roommate moved out a couple you know, a couple of months ago. And I have an empty room. You have your own bathroom. And, and you'll be my roommate. So we live, we live with Harold. So, and it's, it, it's nice. It's, it's, it's affordable. It's exactly what we can afford from, for being here. We get to stay in Ballard, which we both really, really like Ballard. Um, both studios we work out of are in Ballard. Uh, most of our friends are here. Um, once in a while, um, Kate takes a shift bartending at the Sloop, um, where she used to work a lot more before we started doing, doing more gigs. And that's always fun because everybody knows her there and people come down to see her and it's, it's, it's a super fun hang. So we feel at home here in Ballard. And heck, if we could find a house for, you know, 280, 300,000 in Ballard would buy it tomorrow. <laughs> a lot of people would. A lot of people would. <laughs> um, so, any concluding thoughts? The Seattle music scene, it, it seems to be the same, but just bigger. Uh, more of everything. It's very, out of other cities we've been to, the, uh, the Seattle scene is very forgiving. You can be somebody that just wrote your first 10 songs and it's they're all one chord only. And you can, you can book a gig at a coffee shop and people will listen to you. And that's pretty cool. There's a lot of other places where, you know, you can't do that as an artist. Kate, any concluding thoughts? Um, I do. I agree with Jason a lot in that Seattle is a really great place to cultivate your artistry. You can be at any level and have a performance um, at a place. And, and like you said, people will listen to you and, and encourage you. This is a very encouraging city. Um, I'm involved with Seattle Women in Jazz, and it's really awesome to see a group of women, especially like jazz diva women, <laughs> get together, and we do brunches, and we have get-togethers, and we're all just so very supportive of each other and encouraging each other because there are enough gigs to go around. It's cool to see that everyone's so encouraging and, and helpful towards each other. Kate? Jason, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Thank you. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Are you enjoying the opportunity to meet Seattle musicians and hear how growth is affecting a music scene that has been recognized around the world? Please take a moment to rate the podcast in iTunes. Your ratings can help these voices get heard by more and more fans across the country. Still to come on this season of Seattle Growth Podcast, Stephen Severin and David Minert, owners of some of Seattle's legendary music clubs. Also, a look at Seattle's musical theater community with Fifth Avenue Theater executive producer David Armstrong and two talented musical theater actors. But first, next week's episode highlights some of the people drawn to Seattle to make an impact in the music scene. You'll hear from Brent Stiefel, who co-founded Onto Entertainment, which manages the platinum-selling band The Lumineers, and whose company Votive works with up-and-coming acts such as Taco Cat and Naked Giants. And you'll hear from Jeremiah Craig, who moved to Seattle to work in tech and play music in the city. The episode will give you insight into the health of Seattle's legendary music scene from the perspective of those drawn in from around the country to be a part of it. I'm Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey in the fourth season of Seattle Growth Podcast. Now, enjoy the song Makes My Heart Sway from today's guests, Sunday and Mr. Gessel. When I think of you All of my dreams become this way Dreams of hues to paint A lustrous mirror like moonlit day That makes my heart sway that makes my heart sway When I think of you I feel the shadow of your smile Drifting by for miles With the scent of your breath on it makes my heart sway You make my heart sway